0: Smell my socks when I take them off before I put them in the dirty clothes hamper. I smell my socks and I make a determination on whether or not I'm going to wear them for another day, or if I'm going to put them in the dirty clothes. I do that. Yeah. When I drive, uh, some of you volleyball players will know. When I drive, I put my uh, my uh, right hand on the bottom of the steering wheel. and My left hand, I rest my forearm on the right on the uh, steering wheel, and I tap the steering wheel over and over. Usually, I do it when I'm in deep thought. And so I like to do that, okay? So I, oh, that wasn't pastor, was it? Careful, I'm preaching, you know that, right? Uh, How many of you have ever heard me say this, at the end of an offering, we'll say uh, the last amen, and then I will say something along the lines of, give is unto the Lord. You ever heard me say that before, anybody? I say it all the time. Give is unto the Lord. On the same related note, how many of you have ever heard me say this joke? Uh, When Brother Chip's not here on a Sunday morning, we'll have the ushers come forward and I'll say something along the lines of, if you're a first time visitor, these good looking young men coming down the aisles, you heard me say that before? And then there's even been a couple of times uh, where I've said something along the lines of first-time visitors fill out the visitor's card, and when you put the visitor's card in the offering plate, leave it in there with a $100 bill, and a couple people will chuckle and laugh. Who's heard me say that before? Okay, I've said a couple of things. On a more serious note, I love my wife. It's all connected. It's going somewhere. I promise it's going somewhere. I love my wife. I know how to love my wife. I love her dearly. She's the best thing besides salvation that's ever happened to me. Man, I love my son. I love my son. I love my son, and, and he's my only child, and I, I pray that the Lord will bless us with more. But if he never did, I mean, I tell you what, I'm set for life. I love my son, and I think that God's going to do great things for him. I love my son, and I love the Lord Jesus Christ more than anything. I love the Lord Jesus Christ, and I love the Bible. I love the Word of God. I have a, I have a love for the Word of God because of the writer. And you say, what's the deal with all the random information? In order to understand anything that I just said, in order to understand anything about me You need to know who my dad is. You need to know who my father is. And I'm talking about my earthly father, the other Lamar. Okay, When my dad, when I was growing up, uh, he would take his socks off and he would smell them. And he would put them in the dirty clothes or he would put them on the ground for another day to wear. That's where I got that from. My dad, when he's driving, he would do the same thing. He would put his, uh, f- uh, his uh, forearm on the steering wheel and he would tap whenever he was in deep thought. Uh, my dad did different things. He, th- those corny jokes that I say when I'm at the pulpit, those different mannerisms that I have, I got from my dad. That is where I got them from. If you spent just a couple of days, and it's scary how much more I'm becoming like my father. Uh, <laughs> the older that I get, the more I realize I am a carbon copy of my father. And on a serious note, I learned how to love my wife because of how my dad loved my mom. I learned that by his example. I learned how to love my son because of how he loved his son, how he loved me. I learned through the example of my father what it means to love the Lord above everything else. I, l- I learned what it means to have a devotion to the word of God. And I- I'm using that illustration because I'd like to go somewhere tonight. In order to understand anything about this Lamar, you have to know about the other Lamar. Can you follow my train of thought? And so in order for us to understand anything about Joseph, we've got to understand something about Jacob, his father. We've got to understand something about Jacob. Before we can go any farther in the life of Joseph, can we take a couple of steps back and look at the life of Jacob tonight? Let's take a look at the life of Jacob, and more specifically, let's look at the life lessons that Jacob has and how it bleeds over into the life that Joseph had. And so Genesis chapter number 25 and verse number 23. We'll read down through verse number 34. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from my bowels and the people shall be a, strength, a strong uh, one, excuse me and the one people shall be stronger than the other people and the elder shall serve the younger and when her days uh, to be delivered were fulfilled behold there were twins in her womb and the first came out red all over like a hairy garment and they called his name esau verse 26 and after that came his uh, and after that came his brother out and his hand took hold on esau's heel and his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was three years old when she bare them verse twenty seven and the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter and a man of, and a man of the field and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents, and Isaac loved Esau, but he did eat uh, because he did eat of the venison, but Rebecca loved uh, Rebekah loved Jacob, and Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint, and Esau said to Jacob, "Feed me, I pray thee." With the same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. And what what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he sware unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Verse 34 Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils. And he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Tonight, for just a few minutes, I'd like us to preach on this subject in the life of Jacob. We can do this the easy way, or we can do this the hard way. We can do this the easy way, or... We can do this the hard way. Let's say a word of prayer and we'll begin. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us tonight. You've already been with us through this study. So thankful for what you've taught me every single week as I study. You teach me something new that I need to work on, something new that I need to change in my life, Lord. And even in this week, especially this week, you've shown me some things that I need to change and take care of so that I can get back on track with following you and your sovereign hand in my life. Lord, I pray that you would help me as I preach. You'd calm my nerves. I pray that I'd speak slowly, that I'd speak clearly. And I pray that I would stay true to my notes. I know you have something in here for everybody, Lord, but I pray that your spirit ultimately would come down and you would speak to these people as you've spoken to me. And it would cause us not to hear the truth and just acknowledge the truth, but to act upon the truth. Lord, I pray that you'd meet with us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have ever said that before? You've ever said, we can do this the easy way, or we can do this the hard way? If you're a parent, I think we've all said that, right? <laughs> How many of you young people have heard your parents say that? We can do this the easy way, or we can do this the hard way? Short illustration, and I'm sharing it with you because I'm very passionate about this. Uh, we had, you can put your hand down, it's okay. Uh, when, I was, uh, when I was young, we, uh, I had three older sisters, and I was the youngest of three older sisters, and you're supposed to say, awe oh, when I say that. I was the youngest, of, and I had three older sisters. Good, yeah, yeah, I mean, I had it rough. My whole life, I was accused of things that I didn't do, and I was accused of doing things that just I, I wasn't guilty of. And so there was uh, uh, an instance that happened. I can remember I was probably about five years old. And uh, unlike you kids nowadays, where you just go and come as you please, and you open the fridge and get what you want whenever you want, uh, that didn't fly in my house. I, you're, you're not going to believe this, young people. I had to ask permission to get anything out of the fridge. I know that's nuts. You're not going to believe that. Uh, What what kind of parents did I have? Well, that's the kind of parents that I have. They, They made me ask permission before I got anything out of the fridge. And here's why. We were a pastor's family. So what's in the fridge needs to get us through until next week. You know what I'm talking about? So they would make the menu, and they'd go to the grocery store, and they'd buy the uh, ingredients for the menu, and they would give us specific instructions as if it was for the first time. They gave it a million times at the beginning of each grocery week. Do not eat anything out of the fridge without permission. Okay, so we all understood that. And so uh, one day my mom went in, and she went to make pepperoni pizza, and she got all the ingredients out to make pepperoni pizza, and in order to make pepperoni pizza, you need pepperoni. pepperonis. And so she opened the bottom drawer, and uh, she opened the bottom drawer, and in it was a bag of pepperonis, except for it was an empty bag. There were no pepperonis in the bag. They were gone. Someone ate the pepperonis. Now let me spoil the story. it wasn't me. I honestly didn't do it. This time I 'm telling the truth. It was not me. But nonetheless, my mom came in and she asked all of us kids, like I'm sure some of you moms do, and everybody denied it because no one's guilty, and so she said, okay, wait till your dad gets home. So my dad walked in, and my dad is a, very much an authoritarian, and uh, so he came in. You've heard me give illustrations about how he spanked us and so forth, and so my dad did not like discipline is what I'm trying to say. So he came in and he said, kids, we can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way. We're going to start with you, Lamar. Did you eat? And obviously he started with me, which was very unfortunate in my case because he came to me and asked me if I ate the pepperonis. And I said, no, I did not eat the pepperonis. He said, okay, go to my room. And he proceeded to give me the spanking of a lifetime. And midway through, I don't know, spanking number 10, 11, 15, 20, I don't know, my sister Hillary, the one who's just older than me, came busting in the room, and she said, it was me, I ate the pepperonis. And he said, okay, you can dismiss yourself, Lamar, and he, to this day, has still not ever apologized to me for giving me that spanking. Whenever I bring it up, he says, well, you probably deserve some uh, other spanking that you got away with, and so we're even, but... I can remember many times in my life where my dad or my mom, my grandpa, some authority figure in my life came to me and they said, we can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way. And when we look at the life of Jacob, uh, even as we look at the life of Joseph, we can come to a similar conclusion. We can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way. For Jacob, we understand the constant battle and frustration he faced when dealing with situations that God put him through. Uh, God had a purpose and a plan for Jacob, and he needed Jacob to learn some things, and Jacob fought God the entire way tooth and nail, didn't he? For Jacob, he could have chosen the easy way, or could he, he could have chosen the hard way, and Jacob says, I'll take a number two with extra struggle, please. Hold the blessing. Jacob constantly chose the area of contention against the God's will, chose the area of direction going the way that Jacob wanted to go rather than going the direction that God wanted to go. Joseph, on the other hand, figured things out pretty quickly. We learned a couple of weeks ago. Joseph figured this thing out at the age of 16. Realized that I can do this the easy way or I can do this the hard way. I'm going to choose the easy way. I'm going to choose to live in compliance with the will of God, not Jacob. And how old was Jacob before he finally got the lesson? 117. 117. There's a big difference between 16 years and 117 117, 117 years. Uh, There's a big difference there. And Jacob finally got the picture whenever he was 117 years old. As we look at the contrast between these two lives, I think we learn a pivotal lesson on God's sovereignty. Like I said last week, um, although God is always in control, the direction you're headed determines your destination. The direction you're headed determines your destination. It's going to determine where you end up. We can do this the easy way, or we can do it the hard way. However, regardless of, and you need to listen to this, Regardless of what direction we choose, because God is sovereign, He is going to have His way. Do you understand that? You can choose whatever direction you want to go. You can choose to live in objection to God's will. But God is sovereign and He's going to get His. He's going to get His way. And as we look at the life of this man Jacob, we'll see that although Jacob was a man that was supposed to live by faith, he chose the hard way time and time and time again, the hard way of deception, misdirection, rejection, and pain. And to add insult to injury, this wasn't a one-time occurrence in the life of Jacob, was it? It It was a reoccurring issue. It was a pattern in the life of Jacob. The life of Jacob is an anomaly to me, and it's something that I can't really understand. And the reason that I can't understand the life of Jacob is because we know where Jacob ends up. We understand that we read in Hebrews chapter 11 that Jacob, by faith Jacob... Wait, hold on a second. So far, it doesn't look like Jacob's on the right track. Jacob gets it figured out, but I, I don't understand how Jacob went from Genesis chapter number 25, Jacob, to, Genesis, er, to Hebrews chapter number 11, Jacob. What happened? Why the contrast? How do we go from Genesis chapter number 25, Jacob, to Hebrews chapter number 11, Jacob? I'd like us to look at two things tonight. Don't get your hopes up, because there's many things involved in those two points. But mainly two points tonight. I want us to look at four crises that J- Jacob faced, four crises in the life of Jacob that Jacob faced. The second thing we'll look at is the lessons we can learn from those crises. But bear with me. Four things that we can learn, or excuse me, four crises in the life of Jacob, four defining crises in Jacob's life that we need to see. Uh, as we read Jacob uh, in the beginning text, right off the bat, we see he's born into contention. He's got this twin brother named Esau. And the only commonality between the two is their parents, because they were as different as different could be. Uh, Jacob, or excuse me, Esau was a hunter. He was a man's man. I'd like to picture him. Is Brother Erickson here? Okay, he's not. Oh, he is. Brother Erickson, stand up, Brother Erickson. I'm serious. As I was reading, I was like, Brother, Brother Erickson is exactly how I picture Jacob, except for if we could take maybe a red beard and put it on him, add a little extra hair, maybe a battle axe and a coon hat, you know, that's how I picture uh, Esau, rather. Esau, I'm sorry, I said Jacob. That's how I picture Esau, a man's man. I mean, like, I, I don't know, he's, he's biting the heads off of squirrels in the, in the wilderness. I don't know, but he's a man's man, okay? And the Bible says, in contrast to that, we've got Jacob. And what does it say? It says he's a smooth man. He's a smooth man. I picture Jacob as a clean-shaven, skinny-jean-wearing runt of a man. No one comes to mind, uh, really, when I think of Jacob. you have to use your imagination when you think of Jacob. But nonetheless, they were as different as different could be. While Jacob is out strangling a lion with his bare hands, uh, Jacob, excuse me, while Esau is out strangling a a, a mountain lion with his bare hands, like I said, maybe biting the heads off of squirrels, uh, Jacob's inside the tent. He dwelled in tents. He's inside the tent watching reruns of the Property Brothers on the Harmon Garden Network with Rebecca, his mother. There's a big difference between the two. And so from the very beginning, uh, we laugh, but that caused some major problems in the life of uh, Rebekah and the life of Isaac. In the, in the house of Jacob, it caused some major issues because of the contention that Jacob and Esau had. And from the very beginning, as Rebekah is giving birth, we see signs of contention as Jacob, or excuse me, as Esau is born, what does Jacob do? Little newborn baby Jacob reaches out of the womb and grabs the heel. Of Esau. Not you, me first, me first. And that's how he gets his reputation, that's how he gets his name as heel grabber, one who comes from behind for an advantage. And you fast forward several years and we find Esau, he's out in the field one day and he comes upon Jacob in his steaming pot of organic, free range, non GMO, gluten free pottage that he's made <laughs> fresh on the grill. And Esau comes in, and Esau is whipped, he's hungry, he needs some food, and he needs some food right now, and he says, hey man, I need some food, I'm at the point of death, I need you to give me some food, and Jacob responds to his brother, and he says, I'll give it to you, but it's going to cost you something, I want you to give me your birthright, I want you to sign over your birthright to me, and what is Jacob, or what is Esau's response? You'd expect the response to be something along the lines, who's a big brother in here, any big brothers? You'd expect for the response to be, uh, how about I pound your face in with my bare fist, and you give me some of those lentils anyways? Uh, but he didn't do that. He says, what? I'm at the point of death. Parents of teenagers, if you don't feed me now, I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm so hungry, I need the food now. And Jacob says, okay, I'll give you the food. You've got to sign over your birthright. And so to satisfy the moment, Esau gives up what he wants most. To satisfy the moment, he gives up the one thing that is worth more than anything else in the life of Esau. And I could park there and preach for a minute, couldn't I? Talking about what you want the most and giving up uh, what you want most for what you want in the moment. Teenagers, Satan wants. that's exactly how Satan works. He wants to get into the life of a teenager to sacrifice just a moment of sexual pleasure and giving up an entire lifetime of, of, of sexual gratification in the realms of a marriage that God has designed. That's exactly how Satan works. Satan works in the life of a young, uh, young married couple. And begins to uh, stir contention and they begin to go through other outlets and seek affirmation from other things and other places and other people that are not what God designed. And just for a moment they want pleasure and it messes them up what they want most. Sacrificing what they most want most, what is worth the most. Fast forward several years and there we find Isaac on his deathbed and he's blind. This takes place in the field. Fast forward several years and Isaac is on his deathbed and he's blind. And Jacob comes into Isaac knowing that he's blind. And uh, Rebecca, um, excuse me, let me back up a little bit. Rebecca catches wind and she goes and she gets Jacob and she tells Jacob, if you're going to act, you need to act right now. And so he goes into his father and we know the story I talked about it a couple weeks ago but he puts the skin of an animal upon himself and he goes into his father uh, Isaac and uh, his father Isaac reaches around and begins to feel the excuse me begins to feel the fur and he deceives his father into giving him the blessing deceives his father into giving him the blessing that was supposed to go to the eldest son and so Esau catches word of his birthright being stolen from him. And he's not too happy about it, is he? We know the story. He's, he's livid. He's mad. He wants Jacob's head on a platter. And so Rebecca gets word of the, uh, the, uh, ups, uh, the fact that Esau's upset. So she goes to Jacob and she says, Jacob, you need to leave and you need to leave right now. You need to get out of Dodge. You need to go to your Uncle Laban's house and you need to leave and you need to leave right now. Ja- or Esau's coming for your head. And so that's exactly what Jacob does. Jacob gets up and he rises up early in the morning and he goes and sets out. To go to his uncle Laban's house. It's a 450 mile journey. And it takes 20 years before Jacob comes back to the house, of ja- uh, the house of Isaac. 20 years. It's on this 450 mile long, 20 year long journey. That Jacob encounters four major crises. That God uses to destroy the flesh of Jacob. And to build the faith of Jacob. The first crisis he faced is the crisis at Bethel. The crises at Bethel. Look at Genesis chapter 28 with me. Genesis chapter number 28 and verse 13 it says, And behold, the Lord stood above above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the, uh, and the God of Isaac, and the land thereon thou liest. To thee will I give it, and to thy seed, and thy seed shall uh, be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south." And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Jacob makes this vow to God in in this place called Bethel. It means the house of God. And Jacob says, God, if you'll come through for me, if you will deliver me, I will serve you. If you'll come and deliver me out of this difficult situation, I will serve you. And that sounds all well and good, but understand, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that Jacob did that from a spirit of what can God do for me, not a spirit of I'm going to devote my life because of who God is. Do you understand the difference? He wanted a one-way relationship with God based off what God could do for him, but not what he was supposed to do for God. Jacob wanted nothing to do with the relationship with God based off of who he was, but rather based off what he could do for Jacob. And a major mark of a Christian, a major mark of a Christian that has absolutely no spiritual depth and maturity is one whose driving force is their devotion to the work of God in exchange for the blessings of God. They present well, they perform well, and they project well, but at their core, it's based off of what God can do for who? What God can do for me. That was Jacob at Bethel. Jacob was a materialist, and the vision of Jacob's prosperity, as it increased, the memory of Bethel decreased. It began to grow dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. The more Jacob prospered, the more he forgot about the promises he made to God at Bethel. The crises at Bethel. Not only that, secondly, we've got the crises at Peniel. The crises at Peniel. Can we read a large portion of Scripture? Is that okay? I want you to read with me in Genesis chapter number 32, verse number 1 through 12. And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when God saw them, he said, This is, uh, this is God's host. And he called the name of the place Mahaniam. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall ye speak <clears throat> unto my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob saith thus. I have sojourned with Laban and stayed with uh, and stayed there until now. Verse five. And I have oxen and asses, flocks and manservants and women servants. And I have sent to uh, and I have sent to tell my lord that I might find grace in thy sight. Verse six. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to thy brother Esau and also he cometh to meet thee and four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels unto two bands and said, if Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. And Jacob said, O oh God, uh, uh, oh God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which set us unto me, return unto thy country and thy kindred, and I will deal with thee, verse 10, and I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth. Which thou hast uh, shown unto thy servant, for with my staff I passed over this land, uh, this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. Verse number twelve. And thou saidest, I will surely do thee thee good and make thy seed as the sands of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Skip down to verse number 24. It says, And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and he hollowed. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint and he res- uh, as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. Verse 27. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince thou hast power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that, uh, that thou... Just ask after my name, and he blessed him there, and Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Jacob has got some serious things going for him, he's, he's now established, uh, he's got wealth, he's got land of plenty, uh, he's got a family, uh, he's got respect amongst his countrymen, And so he decides to set out on his own and separate from his uh, uncle Laban. And he goes out on his own. And as he's getting things started out on his own, word comes that Esau's coming and he wants his head on a platter. So Jacob facing yet another crisis uh, where God brought him into this place of complete desperation. What does he do? Separates his family. Separates his herdsmen, his cattle, his countrymen. uh, And he sends his family and his countrymen to the east side and he separates them into two bands and he goes to the west side. And here's what he hopes, it says so in the verse, that Jacob coming from, or excuse me, Esau coming from the east side would encounter his family and maybe have compassion. Maybe have some compassion on Jacob. What a coward. What a coward that you would, men, who would do that? Who would send their family to the front lines of those who are trying to do harm to your family in hopes that it will spare your life? That's what sin will do to you, make you do some crazy dumb things. And so that's what Jacob does. And uh, he's hiding away from the Lord, uh, hiding away from Esau or, or yeah, Esau, and the angel of the Lord appears unto Jacob, and he gets in the octagon with the angel of the Lord, and this wrestling match ensues, and Jacob is wrestling all night long with the angel of the Lord. And the Bible says that the morning comes, and the angel of the Lord is trying to leave, and Jacob grabs him and says, "I won't let you go until you bless me." And I want you to notice the response of the angel of the Lord. What does he say to Jacob? He says, "What's your name? What is thy name? That's a very odd question. You would think that the angel of the Lord understood full and well who Jacob was. And so what is Jacob's response? What is thy name? Jacob. <laughs> and if we're not careful, we will miss this. Because we understand that the angel of the Lord was on, on behalf of the Lord fighting there in the life of Jacob. He knew full and well who Jacob was. So why did he ask him what his name was? Understand that it was far more than just a response. God wanted Jacob to acknowledge who Jacob was. God wanted to acknowledge, he wanted Jacob to acknowledge who Jacob was. Jacob, deceiver, liar, one who comes from behind uh, for an advantage. You know who you are. You know what you've done. Jacob had to see himself for who Jacob was before he could see God for who he is. And so God touches the hollow of his thigh to ensure that from this time on, Jacob would never forget the encounter, encounter that he had with God there at Peniel. Jacob never walked the same again because of this wrestling match that he had with the angel of the Lord. Before we can move on, I'd like to go just a, a small, brief, little rabbit trail. How many of you have ever come to the point in your Christian walk where you've had a pineal experience, where you've gotten absolutely real with God, real with your sin and confessed your sin, and God has touched your life in a way that you have never been able to walk the same again? I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about this side of the cross. When you get absolutely real with your sin, and you come and you confess your sin before a holy and a righteous God, He'll touch your life, and He'll cause you never to walk the same again. And that's exactly what happened there in Peniel. Not only that, but because of this exchange at Peniel, God touches the heart of Esau. He touches the heart of Esau and mends the relationship between two people who seemingly it was absolutely an unmendable relationship. When you get real with God and you get before your face and you begin to confess your sins, God will take relationships in your life that you think are absolutely unmendable and he'll do what? He'll fix them. When you begin to confess your sin and when you begin to get real with God and your sin, God will take situations in your life that you think are absolutely hopeless and he will give you victory. So he touches the heart of Esau, but hold on a second. God mends the relationship, but we find Jacob once again getting in the way of God's providential hand, getting in the way of God's sovereign hand. Uh, So Esau and Jacob, they make this bond. Things are amended and they make this bond. Jacob, I want you and your family and all that you have and all that you possess to come back with me to the land of Seir where I reside. And so they make this bond, they make this pact, and Jacob says, I will follow you to the land of Seir. And so Jacob, or excuse me, Esau separates, he goes back to his hometown in Seir. Where does Jacob go? That brings us to our third Crisis, the crises at Bethel, the crises at Peniel, number three, the crises at Soketh, the crises at Soketh, in Genesis chapter number 33, turn there, in Genesis 33 in verse number 16, it says, so Esau returned that day on, on his way unto, unto, unto Seir, and Jacob journeyed to Soketh, and built him a house, and made booze for his cattle, therefore the name of the place was called Soketh, and Jacob uh, came to Sh- uh, Shalem, a, a city of Shechem which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from uh, Padaharam and he pitched his tent before the city. Rather than coming through on his commitment to Esau to go to the land of Seir, Jacob takes his family to the region of Succoth, more more specifically, he resides in a town called Shechem. And we learned last week that any time the Bible refers to the land of Shechem, it is always in a negative sense. Shechem is an absolutely wicked city. We talked a little bit about it last week, so I won't labor long. But they come into this land of Shechem, and uh, and uh, Jacob's only daughter Dinah goes into the city, and the king of Shechem, his son, catches a glimpse of Dinah, and it, the Bible says that he forcibly took her, and he defiles her. He takes and he rapes the daughter of Dinah. Uh, yeah, Dinah he rapes the daughter of Jacob and performs this absolutely terrible sexual act on the daughter of Jacob. And uh, Esar, Excuse me, Jacob's sons get word of what's taking place there in the land of Shechem, and they go in, and the Bible says that they abolish every man that's in the city of Shechem. They wipe them all out. They kill them. I'd submit to you that none of this would have taken place had Jacob just gone to Seir instead of sojourning in the land of Shechem. Had Jacob followed the direction of God and gone exactly to where Jacob was instructed to go, none of this defilement would have ever happened in the life of his family. Parents, don't think for a second that the decisions that you make right now on whether or not you are going to be a household that serves the Lord, it's not going to affect your children. It's not going to affect the generation that is to come. That's a lie of the devil in thinking that the decisions that you make right now as members of Wooden Valley Baptist Church, especially those who are parents, those who are spiritual leaders, don't think for a second that the decisions that you make only have ramifications that that you have to suffer. Your family will suffer. Had Jacob just gone to Seir, none of of the Shechem situations would have ever taken place. We can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way. Let me tell you something, if you find yourself in Shechem, don't you dare point your finger at God and say it's his fault. It's self-inflicted pain. There's a difference, and we're going to talk about that here in a second. There's a difference between the providential hand of God and bringing situations in our lives that are going to draw us closer to him and situations in our lives that are absolutely self-inflicted because we find ourselves in Shechem rather than going to see her. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct thy path. We, we quote that verse all the time. We know exactly what it means. It means that if we set our affections and we set our direction on the things of God, he will lead us and he will guide us and he will direct us in the path that he wants to go. That's not over anybody's head in here, is it? But on the flip side, can I tell you something? If you set yourself, uh, uh, you set your direction on the things that you want to do, you set your direction on the things that you want to accomplish, you set your own agenda, mark it down, you'll end up in Shechem. Mark it down, you will end up in a place called Shechem. We have the crises at Bethel, the Christ sees at Peniel, the Christ sees at Succoth, and then lastly, the Christ sees at Bethel, volume 2. <laughs> the Christ sees at Bethel, volume 2, Genesis 35, verse number 1. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou uh, fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household, and, all, and, to, and to all uh, that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments, and let us arise, and go to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God, who's answered me in the day of my distress, and I was with, and was with me in the way which I went, verse 4, and they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods, which were uh, in their hands, and all the earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them, uh, hid them under the oak, which was by Shechem, verse 5, and they journeyed, And the uh, terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel. He and all the people that were with him, and he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. Jacob, you didn't keep your word at Bethel. You didn't keep your word at Bethel. You didn't keep your word at Peniel and it got you to a place called Shechem there in the the region of Succoth. Have you had enough? Have, Have you had enough going your own direction? Have you had enough doing it Jacob's way? As we go through life, no doubt we can come to times in our lives where God says, have you had enough? Are you ready to comply now? We can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way. You ready to go my direction? All throughout Jacob's life, we find Jacob constantly bails on God, but God never bails on Jacob. Because God is sovereign, he is going to have his way no matter how long it takes Jacob to get on board. He was not going to give Jacob a pass until he passed the class. You ready to do it my way, Jacob? Jacob says, yes, Lord. I've got family problems because of the way that I've done it. I've got family problems, Genesis chapter 35. We talk about the financial problems of Jacob. I've got family problems. I've got physical problems. I've got emotional problems. I've had enough doing it my way. I'm ready to do it your way. So what do I have to do? What do I have to do to get under the spout where the blessings come out? All right, Jacob, go back to Bethel. Go back to Bethel. Why did God send Jacob back to Bethel? Why did God send Jacob back to Bethel? Well, that's where it all started with Jacob. That's where Jacob got his first encounter with, what God, could do with uh, what God could do with Jacob if he would just comply to God's will. And so Jacob does that. He goes back to the house of Bethel. But I want you to notice, and I love the word of God. I love the, the richness of the word of God and what it can teach us. If we would just look between the lines and see exactly what is recorded in scripture. He, rec- he, calls, he calls it the first time in Genesis chapter number 25, Bethel, right? Bethel, house of God. We know what that means, house of God. What does he call it this time? El Bethel. You know what El Bethel means? The God of the house of God. The God of the house of God. In other words... I'm no longer going to serve based off of the regulation, but I'm going to serve based off of the relationship and who God is and what god not just what God can do for me, but because of who he is. Are you catching the difference here? We talked about it just a couple of weeks ago with Brother David preaching the message on putting God in a box. We talked about that. And so often we reach a point in our lives, uh, in our Christian walk, where we are acting out of habit, religious habit, religious habit, and has absolutely nothing to do with our devotion to the person of God, but rather what God can do for us. There's a difference between Bethel and El Bethel. He was done with religion, now he's ready to serve and have a relationship with God based off of who God is. Get back to Bethel. I said we have two things that we were going to look at. We looked at the crises at at, uh, Bethel, we looked at the crises at Peniel, looked at the crises at Socket, and the crises at Bethel, Volume 2. And then uh, secondly tonight, let's look at life lessons from Jacob's crises. Life's lessons from Jacob's crises What do we learn from the life of Jacob in light of the crises that he faced? Number one, God will not spare present pain if it means eternal profit. Did you hear me? God will not spare present pain if it means eternal profit. Jacob, I have a purpose for your life. I'm going to do some great things for you. I'm going to bring forth my Messiah through your lineage. Through your descendants, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. He had an agenda and a purpose and a plan. We can do this the easy way, or we can do this the hard way. In the life of Jacob, he was not willing to separate temporary pain for eternal profit. And I can tell you something right now it can become very easy for us to find ourselves complaining about the things that God brings us through when a lot of them are self-inflicted, but nonetheless, he is not willing to deter from his plan. He's not willing to be a hands-off God. He's promised never to leave us or forsake us, including in our time of, 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 of butting up against his will, of butting up against his providential plan. But in those moments, just understand, you cannot wait it out. A lot of us have that perception, don't we? If I can just wait out this trial, there's an end in sight. That's not the God we serve. God loves us too much to leave us where we are. And Jacob had to understand that God was not willing to sacrifice what God wanted most for what Jacob wanted in the moment. God will not separate present pain if it means eternal profit. Number two, God will persevere with us when we have given up on ourselves and on him. I love that. God will persevere with us when we have given up on ourselves and given up on him. We learned this lesson in the life of Jacob. That although there were times in Jacob's life where Jacob did not identify with God, God always identified with Jacob. At times, Jacob tried to run away from God, but no matter how hard he tried, he couldn't shake, he couldn't shake him. We read seventeen times in the Old Testament, seventeen times in the Old Testament that either God refers to himself or people refer to uh, God as being the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of, God of Jacob. Jacob deterred from God's plan and wanted to separate from the identity that he had in in God, but God never broke the fellowship with Jacob. God always identified with Jacob. God will persevere with us when we have given up on him and given up on ourselves. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I love this verse. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. Faithful is he that uh, that calleth you who also will do it. Over and over, Jacob wiped his hands of God, but God never wiped his hands of Jacob. And aren't you glad? As we journey through life, there's many mistakes that we make, and there's many times we deter, deter from the plan of God, but God never wipes his hands of, uh, hands of us. He's always persevering alongside of us. He's not willing to sacrifice uh, temporary pain for eternal profit, but he's promised never to leave us or forsake us. We see that Jacob... Uh, that God will not, uh, in the life of Jacob, that God will not spare present pain if it means eternal profit. We see that God will persevere with us when we give up on ourselves and on him. Thirdly, tonight, God's plan for your life does not include a Jacob experience. God's plan for your life tonight does not include a Jacob experience. I feel like we've allowed ourselves to have this morphed view of God that he's sitting on his throne and he's waiting for us to make some major mistakes so that he can send a crisis in our life to draw us closer to him. I, I want to tell you, that's not the God we serve. That's not the God we serve. Yes, God is willing to do whatever means necessary to gain our attention, but what does the Bible say? He speaks in a smil, still small voice. He always speaks first in a still small voice. He always prods our heart before he changes our life and our situations and our circumstances. God's intention for us is not to go through life constantly experiencing Jacob's situations. Wisdom comes through two avenues. Wisdom come th- comes through two avenues. One is by experience. One is by experience, simply put, the things that you do, the the choices that you've made, the situations you've been a part of and you've been in, how many of you at a younger time, just being transparent, how many of you have made some decisions you regret as a young young adult or maybe a teenager? How many of you have gained some experience and wisdom through those experiences? (laughs) Yeah, we we can laugh and and I can tell you some funny stories, but I can tell you some painful stories of some experience that I had that I wish I would not have had. Some situations that I put myself in, and I'm wiser now, but wisdom comes through another avenue. It comes through listening. And I'd much rather, I'd much rather come, through, come, to, the, uh, come to wisdom through listening rather than experience. That is the opposite of what, what Satan teaches us. Satan understands that if any of us lack wisdom, we can ask of God that give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Satan understands that he cannot withhold wisdom, but he will get us to buy into the lie that we must experience to gain wisdom. Just because it's there, let me just talk to the teenagers for a minute. Satan wants to convince young people, young teenagers, that you must go through your teenage and young adult years by experiencing the world in order to understand the world, and then you can always come back to God. That's what Satan wants you to believe. Satan doesn't want anybody to derail their Christian life and completely, at least that's not what he's going to portray to you. He wants it, he's going to speak in this kind of voice. Hey, you can go for a season and then you can always come back. You can go and experience these things, but you can always come back. Satan will do that in the life of a young family. Satan will do that in the life of this church. He wants us to buy into the lie that we must, gain, uh, we must gain wisdom by experience. But listening is a beautiful thing. We can listen to the instructions of others who have been through difficult trials and circumstances. Young people, you ought to listen to your youth pastor. He's trying to tell you something that he's been through. You ought to listen to your pastor, at Wooden Valley Baptist Church. He's trying to tell you of situations either he's been through or he's seen. I'm thankful that listening can come through another avenue and that is through the word of God. There's situations and circumstances like Jacob, like Joseph, like David, like Abraham, like Isaac, even New Testament. There's situations all in the Bible we don't need to get any of our own. We need to follow the instruction manual. God wants us to gain wisdom, but He'd much rather us gain wisdom through the line of listening rather than experience. However, although God has a plan for your life, and although that life does not include a Jacob experience, He's going to get His. Your decisions and the direction that you take can ensure a Jacob a situation. Your situa- it can ensure Jacob crises. We can do things the easy way or we can do things the hard way. You say, are you insinuating that if I do things the easy way, that it's the easy way and that I'll never experience uh, uh, difficult circumstances and trials? We're looking at the life of Joseph. Did Joseph face trials, difficult circumstances? Absolutely, I'm not saying at all that if you live in concordance to exactly what God would have you and uh, God have you do and the will that God has placed in your life, that doesn't mean a life of abundant blessing with no trials or situations, difficult situations. Actually, the opposite. Mark it down. I'm just saying you're gonna face difficult trials and circumstances, but there's a difference between Jacob and Joseph. Yeah. Yeah. There's a difference between Jacob and Joseph, and I said it a minute ago. Jacob's pain was self-inflicted, right. whereas Joseph's pain was divinely orchestrated. Jacob chose the path and therefore chose by hand each difficult trial and circumstance. Whereas Joseph followed the plan of God, faced difficult trials and circumstances, but all the while God was working out his perfect plan in the life of Joseph. We see in the life of Jacob that God will not spare present pain if it means eternal profit. We see that God will persevere with us when we give up on ourselves and give up on him. We see that God's plan in our life does not include a Jacob experience. Lastly, tonight... God wants to lovingly lead you like Joseph, not constantly drag you like Jacob. God wants to lovingly lead you like Joseph, not constantly drag you like Jacob. Consider the difference in the life of Jacob and his son Joseph. Again, did both of them experience trouble? Did both of them experience serious pain? Absolutely. Watch this. Jacob schemed to avoid the process. Joseph submitted to the process. Jacob trusted in his own ability, whereas Joseph trusted in the ability of the one who created the trial in the first place. Did both of them receive a blessing from God? They did. They did receive a blessing from God. But notice the difference is that Jacob finally gets it at 117 years old, and he experiences a blessing from God, whereas Joseph from the age of 16 lives a life of abundant blessing. I'm thankful that God can work in the life of anybody no matter where they're at in life. And some of you are farther along than others. But truth be told, some of us are going to experience a blessing. But some of us have the, cho- the choice to be able to live a life of abundant blessing like Joseph did. And there's a vast difference. How many of you have been saved and you got saved later in life? How many of you wish that you could go back and get saved before? I mean, if you could take back the years that you spent in Egypt and you could go back and get saved at a young age. How many of you would would do that? Absolutely. Let me ask this question. How many of you that have been saved for a long time and you got saved at a young age would trade those early years uh, of your Christian walk and your Christian development for a little time in the world? Anybody? I don't think so. Uh, God has put us in the situation that he has put us in and unfortunately some of us are going to experience a blessing but I'm thankful some of us get the opportunity to live a life of abundant blessing. We can do this the easy way or we can do it the hard way. The same blessing that was bestowed on Jacob was bestowed on Joseph, but the difference is 101 years. Listen, Jacob wanted to rule, Joseph did rule. Jacob wanted the blessing, Joseph was blessed. And I'll close with this tonight. How many of us want a blessing from God? Every hand should be raised. How many of you want to live a life of abundant blessing or at least receive a blessing from God? Absolutely all of us. Parents, let me ask this question. This will hit home. Maybe it won't hit home with anybody else, but since I've had a son, I understand full and well what I'm about to ask. How many of you want your children to experience a life of abundant blessing and knowing God? Oh, yeah. my, biggest fear as a, mm, my biggest fear as a father is to live a life in, 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 in display to my children and not show them how real God is. Because if I don't show them how real God is, they might not get it. And I I know that now, but some of you who have younger or you have older kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You want more than anything to live uh, your life in a glass bowl and and allow your children to see that God is absolutely real and they can experience a life of abundant blessing. And it is a fear of mine, as, as I'm sure it's a fear in the life of every parent, that you will live a life that will deter your kids from the working of God and that they will miss, God forbid they miss salvation, but even more than that, they would miss a life of abundant blessing. Notice this, J- Jacob had 12 sons and a daughter. He had 12 sons and a daughter. How many, how many of them experienced a life of abundant blessing? One, Joseph. Joseph experienced a life of abundant blessing. The other 11, or the other 12 didn't. Had Jacob submitted to the process at Bethel the first time, it's very, very possible that we could be re- rereading a very different New Testament account of the tribes of Jacob. Maybe if Jacob would have submitted to the plan of God the first time at Bethel, it would have spared his other 12, ch- 12 children. Choosing the hard way might mean that your kids never know God and miss out on his blessing. We can choose the easy way or we can choose the hard way. If we want the product of Joseph, we must follow the process of Joseph. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. What's the process of Joseph? But simply put, just we know the process of Joseph. When we get into gear and we follow the plan of God. It doesn't mean that we're not going to live a life of difficult trials and circumstances, but when we live in full subjection submitted to the plan of God, the sovereign hand of God will guide us and he will lead us in the direction that he wants us to go. That's how we follow the Joseph process. You wanna follow the Jacob process? We can do it the hard way. But God's God's will and his intention for our life is not to include a Jacob experience. He'd rather us experience a life of abundant blessing. How do we do that? Submit to his will. We read it earlier, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I'll close with this. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. He will direct thy path. We can choose the easy way, or we can choose the hard way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. For your many blessings.